Hi there, Tig here. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know about our Advice of Yesteryear segment, where we take a question from an old newspaper column and invite our guests to weigh in on how to solve a variety of historic dilemmas. One columnist we regularly pull from is named Beatrice Fairfax, and I was curious to learn more about her. So this is a segment I'm calling Fairfax Facts. Fact number one. Beatrice was actually a pseudonym for Marie Manning, a reporter for the New York Evening Journal. Beatrice, or Marie, was 20 years old in 1898 when she created the country's first modern advice column. She paved the way for well-known advice columnists like Dear Abby, Ann Landers, and Tig Notaro. Marie's idea was to start a department where readers could write in about their personal troubles and get unbiased opinions on what they should do. Shortly after the column's launch, the Evening Journal received over a thousand letters a day from readers with quote-unquote eternally familiar problems such as the deserted wife, abandoned children, or the girl who had loved well and unwisely. Her motto was, Large doses of common sense and no sobbing. Dry your eyes, roll up your sleeves, and dig for a practical solution. She got so much mail that she began to dread the sight of bulging mailbags and referred to her runaway success as a quote-unquote Frankensteinian monster. Marie Manning passed away in 1945. Her column was the first modern advice column at a time when women's contributions to journalism were often undervalued, underlooked, and underpaid. That's all my Fairfax facts for now. Hope you learned something. And remember, I'm still on tour. Tickets are at tignotaro.com. Okay, now on with the show. I like your hair, by the way. This is so this is what happens when they say video won't be used. So uh-huh. I just, I don't do anything with my hair. I wear, I'm wearing a sweatshirt that has the name of something a movie I'm in, which I never wear in public because <laughs> I'm embarrassed to wear in public, but it's super comfortable and I don't like wasting it. So like this is this is me when I know I'm not being filmed. This is at home. I'm wearing pajama pants. Oh my gosh, those look like my regular pants. And then what do you think of me walking around in a sweatshirt that says One Mississippi, which was my TV show? <laughs> yes, I think it's perfect. I think we're literally doing the same thing in different rooms. Okay, but I go out in public in well, One I'm Mississippi... Listening sweatshirts and have you ever by the way let's say the purpose of that type of swag stuff Uh is to get people aware of the show how do you think that wearing that sweatshirt has ever made anybody be like oh i want to check that out or no i think it's the reason it got canceled oh my god (laughs) wearing the sweatshirt yeah i was walking down the street and enough people saw the sweatshirt and called amazon and then i was without a show wow yeah and then here we are that's okay i blamed you for a while but i've moved on Sorry. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro asking you to ask yourself why you keep asking me. My guest today is an actor, comedian, and writer you can see on Apple TV's The After Party and Netflix's Space Force. You also know him as Jean Raffio from Parks and Recreation. 
He returned to the big screen this year as the voice of Sonic in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Ben Schwartz, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. It is an honor and a pleasure. I'm a fan of yours and excited to chat with you. And I, you, and I can't believe how long it's been since I've seen you. But life gets going and pandemics happen and careers explode and you become Sonic the Hedgehog too. <laughs> yeah, I, come, I become Sonic the Hedgehog too. And also you had a series of life things happen. A great deal of serious life things happen within the span of like five years. Uh, in the span of four months. But yeah. Oh, oh, and oh, I thought you were talking about my health stuff. But then, yes, I got married health and stuff I had kids. And, yeah, and, yeah, and relationship and babies. Yes. It's been a long time. Yeah, but you're always very kind and lovely anytime, I, anytime I've uh, run into you. But I feel like we never get to really talk, so this is very exciting for me. Yeah, this is going to be really in-depth. Oh, okay. So, Ben, you're known for your role as John Ralphio. Yes, that's correct. In the American comedy TV series, Parks and mm-hmm. Recreation, yeah. described as an annoying yet lovable character who thinks he is a player and a baller. Do you Whoa. identify with any of those characteristics yourself? Of my character or me as a human? Just you as a human. No, I'm very much not that. I'm kind of a, in real life, I don't like, I'm like, if I'm at a place, it's so funny, I was gonna say if I'm like at a bar, but I'm like never, I don't remember the last time I was at a bar. Yeah. But it's like, if I I don't want the attention to be on me, I'm definitely not a player by any means. I'm a lanky little Jewish kid from New York. But I do love playing, and tell me if you feel the same, I love playing overconfident idiots. Like, (laughs) I love the idea of someone thinking they're nailing it when they're so obviously not, but they are so certain they're crushing it. I love playing characters like that. I absolutely do. I I find it to be so fun, even if a camera isn't on me. (laughs) It's a great bit. I love to look foolish. Arrogant idiocy. Yeah, I just, I really love to look foolish. One of my favorite things to do is to be up in Runyon Canyon Mm -hmm. and point... When the Hollywood sign is behind me, point over an edge and tell somebody that I'm with so that a stranger overhears me. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, the uh, Hollywood sign is just right under here, right in this area, (laughs) right below where we're standing. And uh, I don't know if it's exactly the right character you're talking about. It's exactly correct. It's perfect. But knowing that strangers are walking by going, it's right behind you. This one guy tapped me and he goes, the Hollywood sign is right here. And I turned around and I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, so apparently it's right over here. <laughs> but uh, You bring up John Ralphio and I feel like at the beginning of my career, I had to do a lot of roles very similar to that. Do you feel like you play a certain TIG character oftentimes when you're doing stuff? Or do you feel like, I've seen you do both, but do you feel like there was a place for you like that in each time and you had to break out of it or not really? I don't know what I do, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm so preoccupied with trying to learn my lines that I don't think too much about what I'm doing outside of that when I'm in an acting situation. Right. And you call them acting situations. Well, I think it's because I just really identify with being a stand-up. And in my head, I'm just like a recurring character on a sitcom. Even when you were on your own show? Yeah. I think it's just the way I perceive myself, that it's not really something I do. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But stand-up is my thing. That's how you identify yourself. One million percent. I remember I was being interviewed on something on TV and underneath me it said actor. And I was like... (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) 
you know. Yeah, I don't really think too much about it. Yeah, I feel like uh, I very much, especially at the beginning, identify myself as an improviser and a comedian. Mm -hmm. And then probably now actor and comedian or someone. How pretentious is this? Sorry. Well, you're you're soaring in, in all areas, which is very exciting. I mean, your improv and your acting career, all of it is just like... I mean, you got to be pretty happy with how things are going, right? <laughs> things are very unique right now. I'm also like, uh, I'm 40 and I've been doing it for a bit now. So I realize that right now I have like two shows on and a movie. And and I know that's never, you know, next year, let's see if I have, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When I was younger and something like this would happen, I wouldn't enjoy it. I would just be looking like, I got to get my next thing. I got to get my next thing. Who cares? Uh -huh. And now... Even just to have a movie that comes out in movie theaters, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. Everything I do now, like it's like a streamer or something like that. So the fact that Sonic, I get to go to a movie theater and watch it, and people will be there like that. I love that. So I'm, I'm getting a little bit better. But this is a very, uh, it is kind of crazy that all these things are happening right now at the same time. I wish I could have spread them out a little bit more, <laughs> but it's like two months. Everything's happening at the same time. Yeah, it's one of those like. Hard to feel sorry for you, problems kind of thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I don't need your, I don't need your sorrow. Yeah. Well, you don't <laughs> yeah, have yeah. it. I don't think you have anyone. Of course. To be honest. No, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. It'd be can't an imagine. odd thing if everybody was at home listening to this, really having a deep boohoo for you. Yeah. Now, Ben, your mother. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I already love where this is going, yeah. <laughs> Worked as a music teacher, and your father was at one point a social worker? Oh, my God. You know what's so funny? What? I can't wait to find this, because I have so many times said the wrong thing about what my dad does, because I used like a short way of saying it, uh -huh. that one time he emailed me. <laughs> oh, my God. If I could find this, this would be so incredible. <laughs> I don't even know where I'd find it. He emailed me a... Like, he listened to it once, and he's like, yeah, you're really close. It's just like, it's a little bit more than that. Um, oh, I wish I could find this email. Well, take but your it's time. This is, this is good, <laughs> good podcast. Oh, my goodness. This is fantastic. Tig. Okay, okay, so this is what I usually say, and tell me okay. how close I get. Hmm. Usually I say he's, he was a social worker and then a director at the YMHA, which is the Jewish version of the YMCA, over in the Bronx in Riverdale. Okay. And then he transitioned into real estate. This is what my dad wrote in an email. I can't believe I found that. I can't believe I get to use this. <laughs> Okay. Okay. My father was the director of a range of social service and mental health agencies for 20 years, then spent the last 30 years in the commercial real estate industry. That's from my father, Michael Philip Schwartz. He sent me an email so I didn't so I didn't keep screwing it up. <laughs> so we have it. We have it. And what it, what was it that you said he did? What I say is that he's he was a social worker and worked at the YMHA for a while. I think it's pretty close. It's so funny. Like when you're a kid, my mom's job is so easy. She's a music teacher in the Bronx for 50 years. Yeah. I was a student of hers when I was a kid. Yeah. So it's so easy. And then my dad was a social worker and then he was in real estate. So when you're a kid, it doesn't matter. But I guess when you do a bunch of interviews and like, and what does your dad do? He's like, you know what? Just like if you could tweak it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's like when you get an old bio that's circling around. And That's exactly nobody right. has updated it. And you're like, um, no, I've done something since Premium Blend on Comedy Central. <laughs> it sounds like a kind household. It was a very kind house. Also, the mental health stuff is very, like the idea that my dad worked towards helping mental health and my sister ended up being a therapist. And so it's like, uh, it is a very kind household. And like my dad helped establish the Meals on Wheels thing in the Bronx. It was a very Jewish forward, like mm -hmm. not Jewish, we weren't religious, but the idea of giving and helping others was always prevalent. Mm -hmm. I, I, I got very lucky where my family is really big into like showing how much we care for each other and then also 
um, that we like traditions and stuff like that. So That's we're great. we're all about that stuff, but not incredibly religious, but very proud that we're Jewish. If that makes sense, that makes complete sense. We were we did all the holy days for fun, but like I didn't go to synagogue all the time and stuff like that. Do you are you religious at all or no? Yeah, I was raised Catholic, but it wasn't uh, heavy handed, and I actually don't even remember anyone talking about God or anything in my house and. Um, my sons actually one of them just asked recently what god is and i and it was solely because somebody said oh god and then and then and then my son max was like what is god and then it brought up a conversation and stephanie started talking about how love is everywhere and in everyone and god is everywhere and in every you know just that whole sure. thing and and I was just listening, going, yes. So um, that's my religion. Great. Now, earlier in this episode, I mentioned you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I am. I'm curious, what is your process behind creating the voice of a speedy hedgehog? Um, I read, by the way, it's very similar to your process of getting ready for a Anything. An acting role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I read the lines and the way when I read the script, the way that I read him was he was like an excited kid to me. I was like, oh, he's an excited kid that doesn't really have friends, but so desperately wants one. Uh-huh. He finds somebody to like talk to and like, you know, garner a friendship with James Marsden, the most beautiful man in the universe. Yeah. I've worked with him. Great guy. Wonderful guy. And then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of how I did it. I saw him like a little kid, a really excited kid. And I thought if I could, if I made him funny and I made him feel like he had a lot of heart. And I feel like the kids would enjoy him more, and then maybe the movie would play a little better. And uh, it did. I get to be in a sequel, as you call it, Sonic 2. How do I voice Sonic 2? Yeah. How do you? Huh? Just like that. Yeah. Exactly like You're that. You're not going to you know do a I mean? switcheroony and be like, Oh, what? yeah. my Sonic 2, I sound like Bobcat Goldthwait from Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different take on it. It's really good. It goes from that to Andy Kaufman in Taxi and back and forth. Oh, my goodness. That would yeah. be interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't toss that idea out. Okay. And, I mean, that's basically what you do. I mean, like we talked earlier, you, you do improv. You came up in the in the United—oh, uh, un, my God. You came up in the Upright <laughs> Citizens Brigade Theater. You've performed there thousands of times. I know, listen, I don't know what's going on in your world, but I've been in a pandemic, okay? I oh, haven't— Oh, yeah, I'm living fancy-free. I've been going crazy <laughs> for months now. I see you with your two old-fashioned typewriters behind you. You look like you've been going nuts. So there's two typewriters behind me right now, Tig. One is a royal, yes. and it's this beautiful, like, uh, grayish-blue color. Although I am a little bit colorblind, so I'm not really good with blues and blacks and stuff like that, for real. But I believe that's what it is. And then to my left is an underwood, and it's black, and it's gorgeous. And I wish I remembered the years. But they're, like, my little babies. I love them. And are you starting a collection? I have three, and I don't need any more. Okay. So what I do is I write letters. But I write them as like other people, like uh-huh. um, almost like bits. Yeah. I've written a lot of letters as people when they were kids uh-huh. and they were writing letters to their future selves and they're writing them to themselves. So like if it was you, it'd be like you as a child writing a letter from your typewriter when you were a kid to yourself. I usually use them at least once a week, which is really fun. Oh. Do you have a thing? Do you collect something? Maybe coats. Coats? Like winter coats or like cool coats? Whatever. I mean, maybe nobody else thinks they're cool. I don't even know if I collect. Co- I don't collect coats. I have coats. <laughs> I don't know what I'm. Talking I have about. a coat. 
I have a coat that I wear when it's cold outside. Is that collecting? <laughs> I wear a coat when it's cold and I wear sneakers. Are sneakers a thing? I mean, I like, I don't even collect vinyl, but I have some vinyl. Um, oh, can I ask a life thing? Oh, yeah. I feel like you and I are probably very busy people and mm-hmm. I just had a lot of work and I finally had like a day off. Yeah. And I almost didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I got worried as an adult, like, what do I do for fun? Like me doing a show at Largo is fun, but that's kind of considered our job. So it's like, do you know what I'm talking about? That like, I had this weird- I do. Yeah. I had a moment like that recently and it was kind of during a time where I already don't follow pop culture and I recently cut the news. I used to read the news like crazy and I cut that out of my life and I just listened to a five minute update about the news on a podcast. Yeah. And then I just try and move on with my life because I can't do anything about every bit of news that comes in. It's too much. It's too much. So what I did was I came to our office and I put some vinyl on and I just started listening to records and I was just staring out the window and it was such a nice moment. Oh, nice. I was just like, oh gosh, why am I not doing this all the time. Why am I not? I mean, I guess I, I have a career and a spouse and children and three cats and a podcast. And, <laughs> and a so, bunch of coats. Yeah, and a bunch of coats. And so I can't just be lying around staring out the window. But man, was it a nice day. <sighs> I get bad at relaxing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I hate how much I'm on my phone. When, especially when I'm on location, I find that I'm on my phone all the time, and I hate it. Yeah, I, I get on my phone more than I do when I'm home. As soon, I, I'll post more for sure, and it's hilarious when people in the industry that we work in will say things like, sorry, I've been busy filming, and it's like, we know that that's a lot of downtime. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of... I mean, you're busy, but there's certainly time. Okay. <laughs> you could text back, yeah, of course. Yeah, you sure can. Right. But Ben... I have listeners out there that need our advice. We haven't even gotten into that. I can't wait. Let's get into it. Our first question was sent in by a concerned pet sitter. Doug writes, I trade off watching pets with a neighbor when either one of us is away. Her instructions to feed her overweight cat include three small cans of cat food two times per day, Clearly a contributing factor in the reason the cat is so overweight. At times, I followed the instructions, but at other times, I fed the cat less and used the sink disposal to dump excess food so I could leave the three times two per day worth of empty cans. Conflicted. Not sure I'm doing the right thing. Um... Well, the thing that jumps out to me right away is I don't like to waste. It bothers me to be wasteful. Mm -hmm. And so my immediate reaction is don't dump it down the sink. Yeah. And this is coming from a, a vegan person. I'm sitting here going, don't dump meat down the sink, but cats do eat meat. Put it in a container and take it and... Give it to, like, feral kitties walking around. That would be my initial response. And then, do you have animals, Ben? I have a dog, but I don't, by the way, I don't know anything about cats. How many of those circular things do you feed them a day? We don't actually don't give them, 
I call it canned wet meat. <laughs> I think it's so funny when the cats are so excited to eat that. And I'm like, oh, you want your canned wet meat? You want your canned wet meat? We used to feed our cat fluff canned wet meat. And then we just moved away from that. And they just have the dry little nibbles. And okay. everybody seems happy at the house. They're happy with their little nibbles. But I have to say... I don't think that Doug would be happy with Fluff's weight. Fluff has definitely put on some COVID LBs. Oh, wow. Fluff is feeling it? Yeah. And we didn't know until old pictures popped up, you know, when your phone reminds you, like, remember this? And we're like, Mm -hmm. wow. And I highly doubt Fluff used her little kitty paws to open anything after hours. I don't know why she's gaining weight, but she is. And... I don't know. I feel like people are sensitive about weight and probably not just about themselves, you know. They'd probably be sensitive if you said your cat looks unhealthy or is heavy, don't you think? I think you're saying that the owner would be upset if someone said that your cat looked bad? Well, looked heavy or overweight because that's what Doug's worried about. And it feels like, you know, are you going to directly bring this up? I agree. I also think that I would wonder if I saw like a really overweight dog and saw the exact line from how this dog is getting overweight and I could help, I would probably call the person first and be like, hey, you know, that's too much, right? Like that's way too much. Three thingies seems like that's bananas to me. So you would be direct with your friend? I would be like, I looked it up online. It says that a cat this size should eat like one of these for breakfast and one of these for dinner. Um, <laughs> don't you think like that's kind of what, what should be happening here? And also I would save it and say that I recycled all, I would recycle all the cans. So you couldn't see how many I used mm. and I would save it as opposed to wasting it. You know, I think sometimes people show their love with their animals by sometimes overfeeding them. It's true. Because what is it? If that cat is happier, just being a big cat, maybe that's the best life for that cat. What do we know? I don't know. I just know our vet has told us that there could be heart issues. That's what keeps me concerned about my own cat is I don't want to lose my cat. I don't want her to be in any sort of pain or distress. Okay, Tig, I'm going to give you a situation. Tell me how you would honestly, honestly do it. Okay? Okay. So let's say I told you you're feeding Fluff the right amount right now, and she's having and she's enjoying it. She's having a pretty good life, yeah. right? She's going to live to 17 years old, which Ooh. is very old. Yeah. Okay. Or Tig, I could tell you if you feed this cat three times the amount, the cat will be so happy for 13 years, <laughs> so happy and so like loves how f- fat and wonderful, like the nutrients and like they love eating so much. That if you give them that experience, if Fluff has that experience, Fluff will be so happy for 13 years. Or you could do what you're doing and you can get 17 years of, okay, now it's like fuel. It's like fuel for them. It's not an experience of joy when they eat. What would you do, Tig? (sighs) Don't be selfish now. Don't think about yourself. Think about Fluff. I'll do half the amount of canned wet meat and she can live a few years longer. I'm just, I don't want her to have a kitty stroke and be dragging her half of her body around for the last few years. What would you do? Can't answer it. How I will not answer no that question. As an I'm not going to play person. God, Tig. Oh my gosh. Doug, I would say expect maybe some defensiveness from your neighbor, mm-hmm. but I think it's okay to have the conversation that you're concerned about the health of the cat, but maybe bring up what Ben was saying. 
Or maybe that's not an issue for you. You just want your cat to be happy for 13 years and go out with a bang. You know? Uh, I think you should say something. You have one shot to do it, and then the person will shut you down or not, and then you can feel it out from there. But I would definitely say, like, God, your cat's – I mean, you'd have to find a beautiful way of saying it, but, like, your cat's too big for what your cat should be. Are you sure we should be feeding it six things a day? Yeah, it's a lot. That's crazy. All right, Doug, that's what Ben and I think. Ben, it's time for a break, and then we'll be back with more questions. Can't wait. We're back. Ben, this one comes to us from a listener in Nashville. Jess writes, I need help. My parents are extremely tidy people, and their indoor trash cans are always empty. So when I'm visiting their house and may need to throw something in the trash, especially in the restroom, I get self-conscious and realize my parents will see what I've thrown away glaring in their trash bin. I've even gone to the extreme of putting my trash in my pocket to throw away later so I don't have to throw it away at their house. Oh, no. I can't live this way much longer. What would you do? I feel like there's two roads you can take. Mm -hmm. Maybe Jess is talking about monthly stuff that happens with women. I know. I'm aware. I don't know what Jess's gender is. Okay. I mean, it's... It's what happens. It it happens. You have to throw things in the trash. I mean, are your parents, are they trashless folk? It's impossible. <laughs> if you're alive, you create trash. Yeah, I feel like the all of a sudden the situation as it stands is like almost like a beautiful little frame for whatever trash he has. Like it's putting it on display even more because it's the only thing. Yeah. But also they're your parents. Who cares? I guess the only thing is um, if it is something like that where you're a little embarrassed, wrap it up and something else or throw something around it but your parents have seen you uh your whole life probably uh so i can't imagine something you throw out will be will shock them but i do get the idea of like if i'm at someone else's house and this happened i would be probably a little bit more self-conscious if i was like oh man everything i throw out but there's very few things that i throw out that seem like naughty i can't even think of something (laughs) you know what i mean like oh no i don't want someone to look at my well, like if you went home to your parents' house and there was an empty trash can, would you just throw a condom in the trash? Oh, this is a, see, this is a great question. Thank you. It's almost as good as my twelve years to seventeen cat <laughs> question. <laughs> um, no, you're right. I would. You know what I would do? Probably I would wrap it up in toilet paper as big as a pillow. <laughs> yes, like, so you I'd never like, know what's in there. It's like a little thing. If you if you want to do the unwrapping, you deserve to find out. Let's okay. So I'm trying to think of a real situation. Of like I just went to my parents' house. I opened up a new bar of soap. So I had a, I had a soap box. I'd probably you know like little tiny cardboard. Sure. I'd probably tuck it in there uh-huh. and then throw that out. I would give something around it. You but you picked the perfect thing. Yeah. I was like, I wonder what. It, yeah, I would probably do that because you don't need them seeing that. You also don't need them touching that. So I would put a barrier around it. I don't know how many other things you can name that I'd be embarrassed about throwing out. Even if you're at your parents' house or even if it's an empty trash can or full trash can, it seems like you should 
still just wrap those kind of things up. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just picturing her parents watching neighbors roll their trash bins to the curb and just like thinking, <laughs> ugh, these, you know, beasts that are creating trash. <laughs> you know, your parents create trash. That's what humans do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would just say you have to just get comfortable with yourself and your trash and just toss it in there, but roll some stuff up like a pillow. Or mm-hmm. if you really can't deal with it. Eat it. Eat it? Yes. If you can't deal with it, you don't want anybody to see it, just eat whatever you want to throw out. That's right. Or you could just go places with a little plastic sack and <laughs> throw your trash in there and then empty it when you leave. That's true. But then you're keeping this dishonest robotic world I say you just get bold about it and, you know what, Jess, toss a condom in the trash and head out of town. That's smart. A loose condom? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A loose one. And then just head out. Give them time to just, like, understand what's happening. Know that that's you throwing the mic down. Yeah. You wrap it up, you're going to be fine. Even if you didn't have any visitors in town with you and you were just there in town alone, just toss a loose condom in their trash and just peel out. Yeah, that's smart. They'll hear the, and then they'll be like, where'd she go? And they'll see the condom and it'll all make sense. Yeah, everything will fall in place. Yeah, that's right. Jess, I think it's time to let go of your fears, as well as the trash crammed in your pockets. Best of luck to you. Ben, this next question is from a listener with a cultural dilemma. Oh, okay. Metzis writes, how do you socialize like an American? How the hell does one talk to a stranger with such ease as if they're family. Me being from Finland and awkward in social situations, your kind help would definitely help me to integrate into American society. Hmm. How do you do it? Metis, first of all, I think there's a wide range of humans in America that are not able to do that as well. Yeah. Like, can't just go up and talk. Good point. Don't feel like you're being alienated culturally. Um it takes some warming up to, to also, by the way, I remember also like at the beginning, like trying to date people like that's the most terrifying thing in the universe to go up for me to go up to a woman when I was younger and say anything is, I mean, there's nothing. If someone comes up to me and says something, I can hold down a conversation and it's going to be fun. Like, I mean, like I'll have fun with it rather. But when I was a kid, man, thinking of going up to a woman that I thought was wonderful, and trying to say something would make me just sweat. Absolutely. More so than tossing a loose condom in your parents' trash can? Man, I could just juggle those condoms because my dad is a, let me get this email up, <laughs> the director of... <laughs> um, I would definitely, by the way, the other one, I would 100% wrap it up. And I would probably, I would probably make sure that I brought that down to the can. That's a good thing. Sorry to go back a question. Okay. Throw out your little thing and bring it to the can. It's the, the big garbage can, the bin. Yes, but I bet those are clean too. Her, fi- oh, her God, family doesn't impossible. create trash. Oh, my God. Um, but I would say for this that there's nerves from all of us. You know what's so funny? I will If there's a purpose uh-huh. beforehand of me talking to someone, like if it's me buying movie tickets or me getting groceries and there's someone that, you know, like, oh, this is someone that you get to talk to, I'm, that's fine. But if it was like... Me walking up to a random person that I, that I want to talk to, I would be more nervous uh, for that. What do you think, Tig? Yeah, no, for sure. I get so uncomfortable around strangers. I'm not really great in big social situations. 
It's just not where I want to be. I would like to be in a scaled-down social situation. Sure. Having dinner one-on-one or in a small group. I love a dinner. Uh, I love dinners. Yes. Well, you'll have to come over and have dinner sometime because we do eat dinner. We have three cans of wet meat um, (laughs) twice a day. Um, That's not true. But, yeah, I don't know. In California, it's a whole different thing. I mean, probably in many places as well, but people have kind of abolished personal comfort zones, you know. It's Mm. totally appropriate to touch any stranger at any time. Probably not true. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like in New York, it was so much easier to be social. Mm -hmm. I feel like the humans in New York and the situations in New York, because you're like, you're on a subway around people, and then you're at a bar around people, and everybody's pretty close because New York is so like, you don't have much room for anything. And I feel like you just bump into people and talk to people so much more in L.A., you're in your car to a destination. You do your thing. You get back in your car by yourself. Yeah. So it's like I miss that about New York. I miss the people also from New York. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I bet there's other Finns yeah. out there. I bet you're not alone. So maybe reach out, you know, into their personal space <laughs> and see how they're getting along or if they have any uh, ideas. But I think being in any sort of culture that's not your own – probably take some time to feel at ease with rituals and cultural norms. I think that's right. They also the idea of like if you do want to take like a risk and talk to some people, mm-hmm. you don't know like how much is pushing too hard. I think don't be afraid to fail. What's the worst that's going to happen? Someone doesn't respond to you or something. Don't be too pushy. What a what an interesting thing to chat about, right? Don't be too pushy like if you want to <laughs> chat with someone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But like, uh, I feel like more and more people probably there's a piece of them that would love to connect with anybody. Yeah. So I wouldn't be afraid if you want to say something to somebody that's positive and lovely. Maybe maybe it's worthwhile. Yeah, I I, I always think about France. You know, I don't think I would do well with the the double kiss. You know. Oh yeah, that's very. Uh, by the way, it was so funny. I, I visited Paris once for something, and everybody was doing it, and it was like a rush. I would like I saw I've seen it on TV so many times yeah. that I was so excited to do this thing and people really do it there. Yeah, it was the best and like, but I didn't know like, uh, do you not do it uh, to do you do it to women? Do you do you do it to men? And is it only people that you? If I'm meeting someone for the very first time, uh-huh. isn't that so such a huge swing to try to kiss them on both cheeks when I meet them for the first time? Yeah. So like, I didn't know quite when to do it. So I understand that's a perfect culture clash thing for us that I'm sure that he feels similar here. Like I hug people oftentimes when I meet them mm-hmm. um, uh, or, you know, when I see them rather. And some people think that's too much. They'd rather d- just the two kisses and be done. But I don't know. Uh, uh, um, I-, I love the newfound um, elbow bang that happens. I don't know if that's Elbow bang and fist pumps. Yeah, I prefer an elbow bang. Way prefer an elbow bang. Um, wow. Get your dirty hands away from you. Exactly. And that's what I say. Metzis, good luck uh, mixing and mingling out there in the States. Ben, our last segment is a little number I like to call advice of yesteryear. When Jerry brags about taking Ginny out, he learns that she dates all the boys. So as we see now, menstruation is just one routine step. In a normal and natural cycle. How do you choose a date? Well, one thing you can consider is look. I did everything you said, but my boss still hasn't asked me to lunch. 
This is where we take a real question from an advice column of yesteryear and try to answer it a little better. This question was first posed all the way back in 1905. From, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I know. From the advice column of Beatrice Fairfax. Are these real, Tig? These are. I love this. <laughs> I, I'm glad you do. I do, too. I'm in love with this. I can't wait. Beatrice, also, even the name is perfect. There's yes. nothing I hate about this. Beatrice Fairfax. Dear Miss Fairfax, <laughs> I'm a young lady considered very popular in my town. I am very much in love with a very fleshy young man. <laughs> Until lately, he has gone with my best friend, who also thinks much of him, but I butted in and got him away from her. I feel rather bad about it now and ask you whether it is best that I keep him and send him back to her. Distressed Martha. First of all, what is a very fleshy young man? I'm assuming it's a guy with just too much skin. You know what I mean? Just like flapping in the wind skin. Like three cans of wet meat or like muscle? Fle- oh, great question. I, I, my assumption it would be it would be too much mass in one of those directions. I don't know which direction we're going in, but one yeah, of those directions. Yeah, that's really is too much interesting. Mass. Very fleshy young man. I don't know if fleshy is positive or negative. I'm so you know this is not 1905. It has to be positive if she still wants that fleshy meat. It's not even 2005. <laughs> <laughs> that was even a long time ago. Oh, my gosh. There wasn't even... Women couldn't vote in 1905. Wow. But they'd steal their best friend's fleshy man and then throw him back without any guilt. I guess I don't understand the dating scene back then. I know. And why is the fleshy young man being ordered around? I don't know. Like, he's he's just able to be had and then... Well, I guess he hasn't been kicked to the curb yet. He doesn't know... He doesn't know that she's home typing on a typewriter for sure. Yeah. He doesn't know that she's typing this out and about to lick the stamp and mail it. You got to talk with your man. Talk with your partner. See what's going on. Yeah, I feel like no matter what century we're in, it's probably best to not butt in and steal your friend's boyfriends, (laughs) I feel like, unless it's obvious that you... And the fleshy young man really have something and decide to pursue it together. But I don't know. Do you value your friendship more or the fleshy young man? And also your that your friend must have a point of view as well. You uh-huh. just talked to – surely you talked to her as well being like – this is mine, this fleshy young man. I was dating this fleshy young man. And then that person would be like, oh, I had no idea. And please continue dating this fleshy young man. And then there was no problems. And they just, I, I can't wait to hear All right. with this 19 This is a, gr- take, it's just a great idea. <laughs> okay, well, thanks. <laughs> uh, let's see what Beatrice had to say. The very fleshy young man apparently <laughs> has little to say for himself, but is battered around like a shuttlecock between two battle doors. You are rather late in feeling badly over your selfishness. If you really do love him, which I doubt, be loyal to him at least, since you have already failed in loyalty to your best friend, and hereafter try to consider other people a little bit. Isn't it funny how these things have been happening for a hundred, over a hundred years? Not just that, but isn't it funny 
that somebody would respond with words like shuttlecock and battle doors. Battle doors. I mean, <laughs> it's never come up for me. What about you? Never use the word shuttlecock outside of when I'm playing my badminton. Um, and I don't even know what a battle door would be. Battle door and shuttlecock is an early sport related to that of modern badminton. The battle door go. is the racket. Oh, racket. All right, Ben, that's the end of the show. So what do we do now? I think you should just come over okay. and uh, hang out with me. Okay. All right. Sounds easy enough. Is there anything that you would like to tell the, the people about before you head over to my office and hang out? Before I head over there... um, there's a show called The After Party mm-hmm. that I'm really proud of, and it's on Apple TV Plus, and it's every funny person's in it. It's Tiffany Haddish and Sam Richardson and Zoe Chow and Alana Glazer, John Early, Aminit Ike Barinholtz, Jamie Dimitriou, Dave Franco. It's all all amazing people, and it's, it's a murder mystery, Tig. Okay. And every episode, when it's like a Rashomon type thing where every episode when someone explains what happened in the night – Upon their explanation, it's shot in a different genre of film. Ooh. So like the asshole guy is shot like a Fast and the Furious movie. The romantic is shot like romantic comedy. And in mine, I play a person that wants to be a pop star. Yeah. So mine is a like a big budget uh, musical. So that's on Apple TV+. Plus. That's the thing that I'd love everybody to see. Well, I'll have to check that out. And um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and hanging out with me. It was so fun to talk to you. and So fun. And see your mug. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll see each other in a couple of years. <laughs> Hopefully so. Well, thanks and um, ta-ta. Bye, Tig. Ta-ta. And my Hello Again tour is on its way to Santa Rosa, California on April 29th. Los Angeles is my album release party at the Ace Theater May 14th. Birmingham on May 19th. Nashville, May 20th. Amherst, Massachusetts, May 25th. Ithaca, May 26th, San Diego, July 23rd, Victoria, British Columbia, August 6th, and Honolulu on August 12th. If you want to come see me, get tickets at tignotaro.com. See you there. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lohr. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. 
APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool.